Praise the Lord, everyone. How are you? Today, uh, we are looking at the book of Titus, and we have been looking at it. So uh, you can always look back to our videos and see. Uh, we've been going through the book of Titus. We're in chapter 1. And so let's continue. Verse 4 says, To Titus, my genuine son in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So this is Paul addressing Titus. And verse 5 is very interesting because now verse 5 gives uh, uh, the reason or Paul gives the purpose for his writing. Why is he writing this book uh, or this letter to Titus? And he says, I left you in Crete so that you can set in order the remaining matters and to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So there, were, there was order that, was, that needed to be set. There were structures that needed to be put in place. There were elders that needed to be appointed. Now, if you have ever been involved in the process of churches appointing leaders or appointing elders, you will realize that this is not just a task for anyone. It's not just, you don't just take it lightly. It needs the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You remember the book of Acts when they wanted to replace Judas and they had to pray and they had to ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and they also had to uh, cast the lots uh, so that they can determine who will take up the role of Judas uh, because Judas had betrayed Christ. And so the appointment of elders, the appointment of leaders in churches is not a new thing. It has happened before and it will continue to happen. Different churches have different ways of, of picking leaders. There are churches that go for elections. There are churches uh, in whom the leader uh, appoints the people he feels are okay. There are churches that go into prayer. There are different methods of appointing leaders. So whatever, whatever uh, method that your church follows, uh, we just pray that the Holy Spirit is involved. And if you look at the Catholic church and their way of appointing the Pope, you know, there, there are different ways. And so Titus, a young man, has been left uh, in this in this place to appoint elders. Now that that for me is one of the most interesting thing uh, because in today's churches, young people are not given uh, you know a say. They are not given a time. In fact, uh, many churches have no budgets for young people, and and yet that is where we need to put our resources in. Uh, but most churches don't have budgets for young people. And one of the things that I have noticed uh, with majority of churches, some that I've been privileged to work with and others that I've heard from different sources, is that almost every church uh, uh, verbalizes the need uh, to, to do youth ministry, uh, to invest in the young people. And every church identifies, or almost every church, majority of churches, identify themselves as young churches. They identify themselves and say, oh, we are focused on the youth this time. We are focused on the youth. But then when it comes to putting in resources, putting in money for, uh, you know, for young people, most churches are not in it. They don't put money in youth ministries, yet they expect the youth ministries to grow and rise. It can happen. Many of them is because there are uh, uh, you know, many reasons, or one of the reasons 
behind the scenes is because there is no money coming from the youth ministries. If you start a young ministries, a young people's ministry, there's no money. These guys don't have money. In fact, you put in your money in these young people's lives. And that's why many churches don't invest or don't put money in young people because young people are not bringing back money. In fact, some mainstream churches look at young people as troublesome, as a problem, as a burden that, you know, they, they try to appoint youth leaders who can come and solve this major problem that they have. But we see Paul deliberately uh, appointing a young man, a young Titus. We see him in other areas appointing young Timothy and giving him charge and putting him in charge. And so he, uh, Paul continues to guide Titus and says, all right, now uh, this is the list. This is the qualification for the elders. And this is a very interesting aspect that we need to look at. And verse 6, he says, the first thing that an elder must be is blameless. He must be blameless. Now, we pause there and we ask ourselves, is there anyone in the world who is blameless? Is there anyone that you know who is blameless, who has no blame? Yet, one, the number one qualification for an elder is to be blameless. Now, we must understand what an elder is or what an elder represents. An elder uh, uh, is uh, in the Bible is someone who is called to shepherd, uh, to shepherd a flock or to shepherd a local church or a community. This is an elder. And so these three words were used interchangeably, elder, shepherd, or overseer. They are used to define the same person, the same roles. Okay. So the first thing uh, in this church of Crete that the elder must be is blameless. This is very difficult in this generation. It is very difficult in this time to find people who are blameless. I was having a discussion on this text with a group of people and I was asking them the same question. Can we find anyone in the world today who has no blame? You look around uh, the blame upon pastors, the blame upon Christians. There's a lot of blame. Uh, and because of all this blame, uh, we are unable to carry out much of the work that we have been asked to carry. But an elder must be blameless. The second qualification is the husband of one wife. And, and you see now today, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I wonder sometimes if Paul uh, was writing to the church in today's world, what he would say. The husband of one wife, one woman. And so today's family values are being challenged. Family, as it is known, is beginning to be redefined because of different reasons. And, and different people are coming up to say that the family is no longer comprised of husband and wife or man and woman. And you see the biblical stand is that the, the family is a man and a woman. So the husband of one wife. There are now bishops who are practicing polygamy. They have no problem with it. In fact, they're able to use the Bible to try and create reasons why they will go the polygamy way. And this is a major problem in many of our churches. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And then number three thing, with faithful children who cannot be charged with dissipation 
or rebellion. Faithful children. I remember when my, in my days when I was in uh, studying Bi in Bible school and we had a class on pastoral ministry and we were talking about the pastor's kids and how they're supposed to carry themselves or how they're supposed to be, uh, you know, to, to, to present themselves. And people, some of them, uh, some of them, my classmates were pastor's kids and they say that they were, they felt unfairly judged by the society or the community simply because they came from a pastor's house. Yet the Bible is talking about the children of a pastor. They must be uh, blameless. They must be faithful children who cannot be charged with dissipation. Dissipation is over indulgence of, of sensual um, pleasures. They should not be charged with this or rebellion. In other words, there is an expectation upon not just the overseer, not just the elder, but upon his children, upon his family. It is an expectation. And therefore, as people of God and as believers of Jesus Christ, there is also an expectation upon us on how we must carry ourselves and how our children must carry themselves. And I say uh, that a child turns out to be what the parent has raised him or her to be. But if I say, when I say that, the parents are not with it. The parents are not with me in that. They disagree because they say the child has his or her own decisions to make. But then I say the child learned how to make good or bad decisions from the parents or never learned how to make any decision from the parents. Therefore, it is important because it seems as if Paul is also addressing a matter of parenting, yet he's not getting into the details of parenting. So, but he says that the children of an elder must be faithful and not charged with dissipation or rebellion. And verse 7, for the overseer must be blameless uh, as one entrusted with God's work, not arrogant, not prone to anger, not a drunkard, not violent, not greedy for gain, and instead he must be hospitable, devoted to what is good, sensible, upright, devout, and self-controlled. Now, I want you to take this list and begin to apply it, begin to look at the qualifications of many people. Begin to also look at your own qualifications, our own qualifications in the work of God. Are we blameless? Can we, be, can we hold such positions? We, are we blameless? Are we entrusted with God's work? He must not be arrogant, okay? I know of many people who are Christians by name, but they have a lot of arrogance. They are not, uh, he must not be prone to anger. And there are so many people today who are believers of Jesus, but they are angry people. They are hurting people. They are drunkards. They are violent. They are greedy. You can see them from the pulpits. But now the issue is not the pulpits today. The issue is also us as followers, as believers of Jesus Christ. Are we able to live this kind of life? Are we able to walk our, our lives in such a way that we are blameless? Are we able to have one wife if you get married and you stick to that one wife or one husband? to be faithful, because that's what Paul is trying to insinuate here. 
that we must be faithful to our marriages, to the commitment, the commitment that you make. And that is for those who are married. Because Paul also, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, addresses different groups of people. He addresses those who are married. He addresses those who are not married. He addresses those who are about to marry. And he addresses those who have lost their marriages. And there's a whole lesson on 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that you can study on. But he says, the husband of one wife, can we have faithful children? Can we parent the right way as believers of Jesus Christ? Can we parent our children in a way that Christ is formed in their hearts and Christ is formed in their lives? But then for Christ to be formed in their hearts and in their lives, he must be formed in your heart as a parent first because then you become a Christ-like example to your child. So I pray for you today that we, we may walk in Christ and not be arrogant or prone to anger or drunkards, not be violent and not be greedy for gain. In other words, whatever we do, let us be hospitable, he says, devoted to what is good. Let us be sensible, upright, devout, and self-controlled. All these words can, uh, you know, we can develop a teaching on each one of them. We can develop a teaching on anger management or arrogance and how to allow Jesus to come into your heart such that you are no longer an arrogant person, but you are a kind, a loving person who is devoted to what is good. So I pray for you today that you may become everything that God wants you to become. And that is the good thing. Pursue what is good. In Jesus' name, amen.